would stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to the book of Revelation tonight, and we're going to continue the study that I began, as I mentioned to you last week. I've been feeling this for months, and then uh, as events unfolded, and I hadn't had a chance to even talk to Elder Mays and tell him about what's been happening around here. Um, but there's been an amazing series of events that uh, have, have led us to a point, and I've, uh, I had already said I felt like going into this study. And um, uh, then, then just, you know, some folks would say coincidentally, but I don't believe there are coincidences for the people of God. I don't believe there are accidents for the people of God. I believe that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. But it just so happened that um, I stumbled across a podcast I didn't know existed and someone had taken the messages of my late pastor and put them on a podcast and I didn't know that. I started listening and it got me stirred up and then I remembered that one of his grandsons had given me a whole library of his messages and so I was just kind of picking and choosing and I stumbled across one where he talked about having been up here and preached and he talked about the powerful services he had when he was here and I said we got to find those tapes and um, so I gave the assignment to brother Jared and he found them and uh, I took them and digitized them the amazing thing about all of that after I'd already said we were going into the study the amazing thing about all of it is it was that weekend that God answered a prayer for me. I had taught uh, about these seven churches back in 1996. And I had, when I got to the church of Philadelphia and God gave that church an open door, I stood in the pulpit of this assembly and I said, I long for the day that God sends us a man of God and proclaims that God has given us an open door. Well, that next fall, Elder Davis came to preach. And on Saturday night that he was here, he said, I'm going to preach something I've never preached. But he said, I was in prayer, and God told me to tell you he gave you an open door. And, um, and my what messages we heard. And, of course, all of that was based on these seven churches that I'd already been feeling like it was time to go into all of this. And so God's just put all of this together. He's orchestrated it. And, and I think even last week in the introduction, we saw the hand of God in what we're doing here. And um, we're going to talk about the first of these churches tonight. But let's go to our text, the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11. Revelation 1, 11. Revelation 1.11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And then skipping down to verse 19, reading verses 19 and 20, Still in chapter 1, Revelation 1, verse 19, write the things, notice this, write the things which thou hast seen, 
and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. That's an important distinction. And I mentioned last week, I'm not one to get into a whole lot of what's going to be hereafter. I feel like we've got enough to worry about with the things that are right now. And uh, that's what we're going to be dealing with, the things that are. Amen. And the things which shall be hereafter. And then verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven uh, candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Amen. So tonight we are going to be again dealing with the lessons from the seven churches and uh, this is, we're going to be dealing with the church at Ephesus tonight. And I've got a long way to go, and I don't want to break this one lesson into a series, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to cover as much as I can in this lesson tonight and try to get through everything I can. Uh, there are some things I need to say by way of review, but I'm going to do my best to get to the book of Ephesus as quickly as possible because I really feel like there's some things there that the Lord wants us to hear tonight. Amen. Praise God. So would you, would you right now reach out to the Lord? Let's ask him to speak to us as a church. Would you pray, Lord, give me ears to hear what the Spirit says. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus name let's praise him one more time before we're seated can we do that everybody let's praise the Lord come on let's offer him real praise what a mighty God we serve what a mighty God we serve oh thank you Jesus praise God praise God praise God amen amen God bless you you may be seated as I said, there are a few things I need to say by way of review, but I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, reviewing things that we talked about last week. Just give me uh, just a couple of minutes here to just remind you that the Lord gave this vision to John and told him to put it in a book and to send it to the seven churches. Now, one of the things that John saw is he saw the Lord holding in his right hand seven stars. And Jesus said to him that those stars represented the angels of the churches. And now this is, not, this is not to try to elevate anybody. It's just a simple fact that the word angel here is, is a transliteration of the original language. And by that, what I mean by transliteration is when they take the Greek letters and, and put them into into our English letters and just basically give us the same word. It's like the word baptism. That's really from baptisma, which is a Greek word. And they just took the Greek letters and put them into English and we just adopted the word, all right? So the same thing is true of this word angel because the Greek word is angelos, angelos. And they took that same word and put it into our letters. And, and so it's not saying that 
we're talking about a winged creature here, but the word angelos really means a messenger. And so John was instructed, I want you to write letters to the messenger of the church. And we understand the messenger of the church is, that's the office of the pastor. He's the messenger that God has given to the church. Amen. To deliver the word of the Lord to the people. And then we see that he is in the right hand of the Lord. We've taught on the oneness many times. We've talked about the significance of the right hand of God. It is the place of God's power and authority. Not every preacher has God's power and authority. Amen. But when God calls a man and God puts a man in a place, amen, then God delegates to him the authority and the power that he needs to do what has to be done. Amen. Praise God. I, I heard Elder Steve Kelly, uh, he told me one time, he said, he said he has people preach for him. He pastors in Kamei, Idaho. And uh, it's right in the middle of an Indian reservation. He said, witchcraft is so strong up here. And he said, I have men come preach for me. And after a night or two, they say, Elder, I don't know how you do it. I can't stand the pressure. I can't take it up here. And he said, I don't think anything about it. He said, it's not because I'm superhuman, but it's because God called me to that place and God gives me the grace to deal with it. The other men just come in. They don't have that same grace. Hallelujah. And so when God calls a man and puts that man there, and then God delegates to him all that he needs to become the messenger to the people. And, and the Lord told John, I want you to write these letters to the messengers of these churches. And then he referred to the churches as candlesticks. Of course, the church is to be a source of light in this dark world. The important thing for us to note is that Christ walks in the midst of the church. He walks in the midst of the church. He's always aware. In fact, as we go through these letters, you'll see that he knew everything that was going on in every one of these churches. He knew. He knew. Amen. He doesn't just walk through there. He observes. He takes note. Hallelujah. Amen. The old song says there's an all-seeing eye that's watching you. And that's the way it is. Amen. Praise God. Now, He's going to reiterate that fact uh, when we get into the, the letter to the church at Ephesus in just a moment. Uh, I mentioned to you uh, a little bit about the circumstances and how John still was able to get in the spirit on the Lord's day. And God gave him a message in the midst of a time of adversity and persecution for John. Amen. Because he was the messenger at that moment. Praise God. And I'm going to tell you, we want a word from God. There's no better place to find it than to get into the presence of the messenger that God gave you. Well, hallelujah. Now, we talked about the fact that there were seven of these churches. A lot of times we talk about seven being God's perfect number. It really, more than the word perfection, I think a better term is completion. Amen. It is fully, uh, fully completed. That's what the number represents. As someone else said, the number one is the number of God, and the number six is the number for man. Seven is where God and man come together. Amen. That's where we find the completion that we need. We'll never be what God wants us to be unless we add him into our lives. 
Praise God. Amen. That's important for us to know. But, but I believe that he chose these seven. There were many more churches in Asia. There were churches all over Asia. In fact, if you go back to the book of Acts, when Paul was in Ephesus, the Bible says all of Asia heard the word of God. Amen. There were many churches that were in Asia at this time, but God chose seven of them to address specifically. And I believe the reason is because really all of the problems that any church could face and all of the good things that any church could do could be incorporated and encapsulated in these seven churches. And I believe if we'll learn the lessons of these seven churches and we'll learn to do the things that God commended and we'll learn to avoid the things that God condemned, then we can become the complete church that God wants us to be. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. We talked about the letters, and, uh, and, and I don't want to spend a lot of time there, but each of these letters do contain uh, either a commendation from God, he's commending them, or a condemnation from God where he's correcting them. Uh, and some of the letters, most of the letters, contain both of those. Amen. There are a couple of exceptions. Uh, there is one letter where there is no commendation. God could find nothing good to say about Laodicea. Not one good thing in all of that that he could say about that church. Lord have mercy, I don't want to be like that. In fact, I'll just jump ahead and tell you that in that church, Jesus was on the outside knocking, trying to get in. He wasn't even in the church. He was outside the church. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. That's what happens, amen, when there's nothing there that God can say any good about. But then there was also a church where there was nothing to condemn, amen. That was the church at Philadelphia, and that's going to be a key church for us to study when we get there. Praise God. We'll talk about why that is. Uh, each of these letters contains either a promise from God or a warning from God, and again, many of them contain both. There were seven letters, seven churches, and to six of them, God said, repent. Repent. And I'm going to tell you, no church, no church should ever feel like they've reached a place that they are above repentance. And listen to me, my friend. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're going to spend the rest of your life looking for it. You're going to, you're going to, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to be mean and ugly, but, but if you find it, please don't join it. You'll ruin their record. And so would I if I joined it because I'm not perfect. And if you ever found that perfect church of any of us became a part of it, they'd no longer be perfect because none of us are there. Amen. There is no perfect church, praise God. But God is perfecting the church. Amen. And that's the key, not to find the perfect church, but to find the one God's still perfecting. Well, it's when he quits perfecting the church that they're in trouble. But as long as he's still working, as long as he's still, oh, I feel this, as long as he's still got his hand there and he's trying to do something there, I'm telling you, there's hope. Well, praise God. Amen. Amen, amen. Uh, and in these letters, the Lord will generally make some reference that is directly connected to the name of the church. I point that out because we're going to see that exactly happen in this first letter uh, here tonight as we get into the letter to the church 
at Ephesus. And then uh, each of these letters ends with a plea, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the church. And we'll talk about what that means here in just a few moments. So with that being said, let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. And we're just going to read the entire letter. And then we're going to come back and pick up bits and pieces of this. But I think it's good that we read the whole letter in its entirety, get the context of everything God said to this church before we start uh, start picking out the, the various points of the letter. So let's read it all. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou, thou canst not hear them which are evil, bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience. For my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Right. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, so that is the letter to the church at Ephesus. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this here tonight. I'm not going to take the time, and, and again, Brother Goff, just, just try to follow with me. I'm going to skip over some of these scriptures. You can write them down if you're taking notes, or, or if you want to, it'll be on the website soon and very soon. Quickly, all right. And, uh, and you can go and, and listen to it there and make notes, because you can always hit the, the pause button and, and make notes and then pick it back up. But, uh, but, you can find the beginning of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And that's uh, uh, while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul came to Ephesus. And that's where he found this story we talk about all the time. He found certain disciples, these disciples of John the Baptist. And he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, under what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. And Paul answered, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Now, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues and prophesied, and the number of names was about 12 men. Now, I'm telling you that this was the beginning of the church at Ephesus. This is how it all started. It started with people that were already devout. Now, they didn't have the fullness of truth. But they, they were walking in everything they knew. And the Lord sent the apostle Paul and let him find them there and, and let him convert them. And the church started, amen, hallelujah, with 12 men. That's a pretty good start. I think any home missionary would be thrilled if they could walk into a city and pray through 12 men that are already devout. Well, praise God. I think that's a really good start. That's the way the church at Ephesus started. Amen. Now, the name Ephesus, this name, uh, and, and you know I've preached about this before, but in Bible times, they didn't just make up names. 
names. They didn't just pick one out of, you know, because this was somebody else's name somewhere, but, but names meant things. And, uh, and, and the, the name Ephesus means desirable one or fiance. It means the beloved. That's what Ephesus means. Amen. And that's interesting to me when you know what he has said to this church. Amen. The church that is in the city, amen, of the beloved one. Amen. Now, when they named it Ephesus, the one they were calling beloved is not the same, but, but the Lord took that and applied it to the church there. And, and you're the church of the beloved. You are the church of the fiance, but I got some issues I got to take up with you here, amen, as my fiance, as my beloved. I got some issues we got to talk about here. Praise God, and he did. Now, he started this letter with some commendations. Let's read, first of all, verse 2. Read that for me again. I know thy works. I know your works. And thy labor. I know your labor. And thy patience. Your patience. And thou, hast, thou canst not bear them which are evil. Uh-huh. Now, now, hang on. Look, first of all, what we see is they were committed workers, I know thy works and I know thy labor. We're not talking about lazy folks. We're not talking about people that just sat around. We're not talking about people that just showed up for church hoping something happened. Well, praise God. We're talking about people. God said, I know your works and I know your labor. I know what you've done. I see how you have committed yourself to the cause of the kingdom. I see all of that. And I see you cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, and which, tried say them which say they are apostles and are not. And, are not. and hast found them liars. Now, now listen, I'm going to tell you something about Ephesus. Something about Ephesus. And, and you've got to remember who their spiritual daddy is. Amen. Paul's the one that founded this church and he put something in those people. He put in them a love for the truth. Amen. And, and they loved the message. They loved the gospel. They loved, amen, the Acts 2.38 plan of salvation. They loved the oneness of God. And, and the Lord said, this is many years after the founding of the church, the Lord said to them, I see that even now you don't like those guys that come around claiming to be prophets but they're not preaching truth you don't put up with it and and God said I commend you because you don't just fall for every doctrine that blows around Oh, church, I'm going to tell you something. I'm disturbed in my spirit. I've been talking. Amen. There is a lot of things going around for the maze in the apostolic movement today. A lot of false doctrines that are circulating. I'm talking about in conservative midst. A lot of things that people, bandwagons, they're jumping on. But somehow, church, we got to get our eyes focused on what the truth is. And we got to stand firm. We don't want to be blown about by everything every wind of doctrine. We don't want to jump on every popular idea that floats down the river. Amen. We got to learn. We gotta, remember, this is a commendation. God is commending them for feeling this way. He's commending them. Amen. Now, now again, where did they get all this? They got it from daddy. They got it from the man that founded the church. Listen to what Paul said. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But though we, or an angel from heaven, uh-huh. preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, yes. let him be accursed. If they preach anything different 
than what we the apostles preached, let them be accursed. As we said before, In so fact, say he I said, I feel again. it so strong that I'm going to say it again. If any man preach if any anybody other preaches any you, other gospel than what you've already received, now what did they receive? Who did they receive it from? They received it from Paul. So the same thing that Paul preached. It was Paul that asked those followers of John the Baptist if they'd received the Holy Ghost. It was Paul that asked them how they'd been baptized. It was Paul that prayed for them until they spoke with tongues. And Paul said, if you hear anybody preaching anything different than what you heard me preach when those first 12 men got the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, let them be accursed. You don't look at the size of their congregation. You don't look at whether or not they're flying a Learjet. You don't look at anything else. Amen. You look at their message. You examine their doctrine. You find out if they're telling you what the word of God has to say. Praise God. Amen. Second John uh, verses 10 and 11. There's only one chapter in 2 John, so uh, 2 John, verses 10 and 11, read. If there come any unto John you. John said it this way. If there come any unto you. And bring not and this bring doctrine. And bring not this doctrine. Receive him receive not, him into, not your house, into your house. Neither bid him neither God bid him speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed. Because he that bids him God's speed. Is a partaker, is a partaker of, his evil deeds. of his evil deeds. Now John didn't say, oh bless your heart my brother. And I know we differ and you think there's three and I think there's. He didn't say that. He said don't even say bless you. He said I'm telling you when you do that. They're doing evil by spreading things that I didn't teach you. Now John's writing this and you got to remember John's the one who said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. It was John who said Jesus answered verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It was John, it was John who wrote about Philip asking to see the Father. And Jesus saying, have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. It was John who recorded Jesus' words when he said in John 10 and 30, I and my Father are one. It was John who recorded what Jesus told the Jews when he said before Abraham was, I am. And John said, if they come preaching anything besides that, don't bid them into your house. Don't do it. Now, now I, 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 I can't get too sidetracked, but get for me Deuteronomy 13, I think it is. This is not in my notes, and I'm sorry, Sister Jasmine, uh, to throw this into the mix. One of these days, when one of these guys is preaching, I'm going to assign myself to that slot and make myself have to put these scriptures in when somebody changes their mind. And I got a feeling we got a few guys that would have fun that night. Just making up scriptures. Turn to Habakkuk. That's not in the Bible, in case you didn't know. That's not, I mean, Habakkuk is, but it's not a book of Habakkuk. So, praise God. Uh, all right, now, now here, here's... 
Uh, Hezekiah, I mean, there's a book of Habakkuk. Dear Lord, help me. I think I'm tired. There's a book of Habakkuk. Hezekiah is what I meant. All right, I'll get this straightened out in a little while. You're, you're worried about me, weren't you? You're worried about me. I'm an old man. Pray for me, all right? All right. Amen. Amen. All right, so I was talking about Hezekiah. Lord, help me, Jesus. All right, where were we? Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy, see, I'm not quite as old as you think I am. I may forget things once in a while. Uh, just like I was trying to say something Sunday night before we closed, and I absolutely forgot what it was and just told you God's good, and we just dismissed, and I left it at that. And all of you wondering, well, I thought he was going to say something else. Well, I was, but I don't know what it was. So anyhow, all right, you're there, Deuteronomy 13. How's that start out? If there arise if there, among the you one, a prophet right, or a dreamer. Arise, if there arise a prophet or a dreamer of dreams. And giveth thee a sign or a wonder. And it gives you a wonder, sign or a wonder. And the sign, and or the the sign wonder, of the wonder come to comes pass, to pass. Whereof he spake unto thee, saying, saying, Let us go, let us after, go after other gods. Other gods which thou hast which not thou known. Which thou hast not known. And let us serve, let us them. serve them. Thou shalt not hearken thou shalt unto the words of that prophet. unto the words of that prophet. Or that dreamer, or that dreamer of, dreams, of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart with all your soul. soul. Now let me tell you what he said. He said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let some of these guys get it right once in a while. I'm going to let them prophesy and it's going to come to pass. I'm going to let them perform some miracles. I'm going to let it happen because I'm going to test you and see if you're following the miracle or the message. He said, I I want to know that you're more interested in the message than you are in the miracle. Now church, you know I've been preaching miracles. We saw miracles happen around here on Sunday but I'm going to tell you, far more important than the miracle is the message. Well, alright, i got to move on. i got to move on. i got too much ground to cover tonight. Amen. And so, and so God commended them because first of all, they're they're committed workers. They are patient laborers and they stand firm in the truth. Now that's good. That's good when a church has that going for them. Amen. Now verse 3, read for me. And has born and, you and has born, patience. And you've had, there he says it again. You, you've had patience. And for my name's sake hast labored. And, and again he says, You've labored for my namesake. And hast not fainted. And, and you didn't faint. Now what's, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. The Lord is, is telling them, this is wonderful. I'm so glad you're doing all this. First of all, it says you've born. You know, there's a number of things the Bible tells us we have to bear. And, and, and the thing about Ephesus is they learn to bear it. Because too many, when they have to start bearing things that get a little heavy, they just want to throw in the towel. They, they don't want to bear that. But, but, but Ephesus wasn't that way. Let me, let me real quick go through just a few things the Bible says. As Christians, we have to bear. All right, first of all, Hebrews 13, 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his bearing reproach. his reproach. You know, sometimes we have to bear reproach. Not everybody likes one God apostolics. Not everybody likes the way we live. Not everybody is impressed with the way we worship. And once in a while, they'll make fun of us. And once in a while, they'll criticize us. And ever so often, they'll call us a cult. And I've often wondered, dear Lord, how in the world can they think I'm a cult leader? Jim Jones was a cult leader. He got people to drink poison. 
I can't even get everybody to show up on church, on church time. I don't know how they think I'm a cult leader. Praise, I can't get some people to pay their tithes. I, Lord, get them to drink poison. There's no way I'm gonna get them to drink poison. But anyhow, be that as it may, there, there's, you know, we just have to bear this. And we shouldn't hang our heads. We shouldn't feel bad because not everybody appreciates the way we live. We gotta learn to live for God and let him be pleased with us. All right, I gotta hurry. The, another thing, Luke 14, verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Oh my, you gotta bear your cross. I said this uh, several years ago. I made this statement. I said, you know, a lot of people want to wear a cross around their neck, but it's not the cross you wear around your neck. It's the one you wear on your back that makes a difference. That's the one that makes the difference. Jesus said, you're going to have to take that up. In fact, in another place, he said, you've got to take it up every day. You're going to have to carry that cross every day. Amen. All right, we've got to bear our cross. Galatians 6 and 2. Bear ye one another's Bear burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Now listen, we, we've got to learn. And I appreciate this church. I'm telling you, I've been so pleased at what I've seen and the way this church rallies, amen, to their brothers and their sisters. Amen. When somebody's hurting and you know it, you're there. You want to help. That's the way it ought to be. That's exactly what the Lord's looking for. Not just that we are so consumed with ourselves. Amen. But we, we are consumed concerned about everybody else we want to help others we want to see others go to heaven with us we got to bear one another's burdens and we also have to do this Galatians 6 and 5 for every man shall bear his own burden now we got to not only bear everybody else's we got to bear our own and if you don't understand all that there I preached a message on it sometime back and you can go back and search the archives and find that and I talked about what all this means and Paul was not contradicting himself when he says in verse 2 bear one another's burdens but then turns right around and says but at the same time you've got to bear your own well if I'm bearing my own why does somebody else have to bear mine well we talked about that and you can go find that uh, on the website somewhere it's there and uh, talk. I don't have time tonight alright what else here's, here's a good one 1 Corinthians 3 and 7 beareth all things oh. <laughs> believeth all things yeah Hopeth all things. Yeah, beareth all things. So just in case I've overlooked anything else, just whatever comes our way, we just got to have our minds made up. I'm going to live for God. I don't care what happens. I don't care what obstacle I face. I don't care what the devil throws in my way. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm just going to bear whatever I've got to bear. Yes, sir. All things. All things, praise God, amen, whatever comes our way. All right, now, the Lord also said in verse three, he said, you've borne, but he said something else. Read that again, Revelation two and three. And hast borne. You've borne and. And hast patience. You've had patience, you've had patience. Now, now listen, it's important that we have patience. We have patience, and patience is not sitting around twiddling our thumbs. Amen, let's talk about patience here real quick. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. That ye be not slothful, be not slothful but followers, of, followers them, of them, who through faith and patience. Through patience, listen to this, through patience what? Inherit the they promises. inherit the promises. If we want to inherit the things that God has said we're going to inherit, we're going to have to have some patience to get there. Well, praise God. It's just a part of the process. Amen, amen. And uh, Hebrews 10, 36. 
For ye have need, you have of, patience, need of patience that after, ye that have after done you've done God, the will of God, you might receive the promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's why I say we're not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. We're doing everything we know to do. Amen. We do what we can do, and then we trust God to do the rest. In fact, that's what he says. We're not going to read it. James chapter 5, uh, he talks about patience, and he says, Behold the husbandman. Look at the farmer. A farmer doesn't just sit in his uh, farmhouse and say, God, give me a crop. The farmer goes out and he prepares the soil. Then he plants the seed. And then he takes care of the seed. He waters it and he weeds it and he fertilizes it. But yet he knows he cannot force the seed to germinate. And he can't force the the rain to come from heaven. He does what he can do. But then he trusts God to do the things he cannot do. Well, praise God. Amen. That's what patience really is. That's real biblical patience is doing the will of God and waiting for God to keep his promise. All right, verse three again. We're not finished with that. Let's read it. And has you've born, born and has you've patience, had patience. And for my name's and sake, for my name's sake you've labored and, and not Fainted. Now, the very fact that he's put this labored with not fainting says to me, Brother Mays, that he's talking about something very specific here. Amen. We have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So let's go to Galatians 6, verse 9. And let us not, let be, us weary not be weary in well-doing, in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we, faint, if we not. faint not. Now, this is almost the same thing. He's saying if we'll keep on laboring and we won't faint, then we'll inherit these promises. Well, what kind of laboring are we supposed to be doing and not fainting? I'll tell you what. We're supposed to be out there reaching this city. We're supposed to be out there trying to tell others about how good God's been. We're supposed to be out there telling others this is the place where you're going to get your needs met. This is the place, amen, where your burdens can be lifted. Oh, somebody help me here tonight. I'm telling you, this is the labor that's going to go on in the house of God. We've got to be faithful, patient laborers. We just keep on, we keep on, we keep on, we keep on. We plant and we plant and we plant and we plant. And I've said it before. I'm going to tell you, you get out there and plant, and then you go look at the field the next day. You don't see anything but a freshly planted field. And you go the next day, and you don't see anything. There's no evidence out there except that field has been worked. But you don't really see any product yet. But one day, you get up and walk out there. And what you see is just a little sprout. But that sprout gives you hope because you know if I'll just keep doing what I've been doing to get that sprout here there's going to be more sprouts where that one came from and that sprout and those other sprouts are going to grow into full blown plants if we just keep doing what we've been doing well hallelujah I hope you're listening tonight. You know what God did tonight? You know what God did tonight? We just looked out there on the field and we saw a little sprout come in. 
Amen. God has seen the hundreds of contacts that we've made over the last few months. And God's been working. And God's been dealing. And tonight, he let us see a little green sprout come up. Amen. And he's saying to us, Truth Church, there is a harvest. Don't grow weary in what you're doing. Don't get tired because you're not seeing it. You just keep doing what you've been doing. I'm honoring it. Oh, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. We got to, we got to, we got to. Now listen, history tells us that the church at Ephesus, at its peak, are you ready for this? Ran in the tens of thousands in membership. Can you imagine a church that size? Tens of thousands. Started with 12 men. Tens of thousands, Brother Goff. Now listen, they don't go from 12 to tens of thousands by just sitting around talking about revival. It didn't happen that way. I'm telling you, somebody was out there working. Somebody was out there inviting folks. Well... I don't have a whole lot of time. But you know, it would be a good time to just tell you there has been a little change to our leadership team with, with uh, uh, the Albritons uh, taking a new position out in, in North Carolina. He was, he was serving as the, the director of our, of our outreach team. And so we had to fill that position. And uh, I'm telling you, I prayed about it. I, I sought God about it. And uh, there, is, there is a man that I've watched the tears roll down his cheeks. Amen. I've, I've listened to his heartbeat. I've heard him talk to me. Amen. He went out and taught a Bible study and called me after that first Bible study. Amen. And he said, I don't care if I never set foot behind the pulpit. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just telling the church. Amen. I'm just telling you what I know. He said, I don't care if I never set foot behind a pulpit again. You just let me keep teaching Bible studies. And I thought, dear God, what better man could there be? Amen. To help lead this church in our outreach efforts. Amen. Brother John Nelson is going to head up our outreach team going forward. And I believe he's the right man for the job. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. Brother Jerry Hilton stepped into Brother Nelson's position as, as uh, our director of operations. Doesn't that sound professional? Have you ever felt so professional in your life, Brother Jerry? The director of operations. You know what that means? He's our maintenance man. I, just, I, had to make sure, I had to make sure I didn't let your head get too big now. I had to make sure it didn't get too big. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 But I'm telling you, God's doing great things around here. Amen. I know we got folks out tonight. We got a lot of things going on, but, but I'm telling you, God's doing great things at the Truth Church. Amen. And we are, we are moving on. We're not setting on go anymore. We're going. Well, hallelujah. So, so all these things that God says good about, about Ephesus. Man, you've worked, you've worked hard, you've been patient, you hate false doctrine, you stand for what's right. All of that's wonderful. And then we get to verse four. And here's what he said. Nevertheless, Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy, hast left thy first love. Well, now, now, this gets into some serious business here. The desirable one, the fiance. You know, I was preaching in a place some years ago, 
And the name of the church was Faith Tabernacle. And I just felt impressed, Brother Mace. And I went to the pastor. And I told him, I said, I'm going to tell you what I really feel in the Holy Ghost. I feel like the devil sees that name on the sign and he's determined. He's going to fill this church with unbelief because you call yourself Faith Tabernacle. I'm going to tell you the day we put Truth Church on our sign, I believe the devil started making up his mind. I'm going to do something to put some kind of false doctrine in there or something. But he's wasting his time. It's a wasted effort. It's not going to happen around here. If you hadn't figured that out by now, He's dumber than I thought he was. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. But, but here was a church of Ephesus, the church of the desirable one, the church of the fiance, the church of the beloved. And lo and behold, what did the devil do? He didn't get them to quit working. Now, the Lord didn't say, I see how you used to work. Did you notice that? He's not commending them for what they used to do. I see how you used to be patient. I see how you used to stand against false. No, he's saying this is what you do right now. But for everything you're doing, you're not doing it out of love. Saints of God, listen to me. Let me tell you why this is a tender spot in the heart of God. Because that's what he dealt with with the Jewish people for centuries. They had the law, and they followed the law. But they followed it mechanically, and not because they were in love with him. Isn't it amazing that they get up in the morning and quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They go to bed at night and quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Before they die, the last thing they want to say is Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But what about verse 5? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Now they had the message down. And they even spent their time, their rabbis spent their time trying to expand on God's law. And when God said, you shall do no servile work on the Sabbath day, then the rabbis wanted to tell you exactly how many feet you could walk before it turned into work. I mean, they were determined, we're gonna keep this law. But somehow they never fell in love with him. And if we're not careful, the same thing happens in many, many, many apostolic churches. The same thing happens. People get to church, we learn how to do it. We learn the right time to raise our hands. We learn the right time, amen, to respond. We learn the right way to look. We learn the right way to talk. But somehow our heart, it's not in our heart. We're just doing it out of memory. We're just doing it because we gotta do it. But somehow, church, we gotta get back to that first love. This it's got to be about love. We got to do it because we love him. Not just because his word says it, but because we love him. Oh, hallelujah. I feel this. God said, you're doing a lot of great things. You're doing a lot of great things. But you don't love me like you used to love me. You're still doing everything you ever did. 
That hadn't changed. What has changed is your love. Now, many scholars believe that uh, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And by the way, I hadn't really even talked about that. You know, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus too. And what a letter it is. I'm telling you, if you've never sat down and studied the, the, the uh, book of Ephesians, that's what that is. It was a letter to the church at Ephesus. There is so much in that book that is just phenomenal. I'm telling you some of the most profound things that Paul ever wrote, he wrote to Ephesus. And, and history says it was probably somewhere around uh, 62 AD when he wrote that wonderful church commending the Ephesians, expressing God's love for them and expressing all of the wonderful things God had opened to them. That was about 62 AD according to scholars and historians. The book of Revelation, John writes to Ephesus some 34 years later. In less than three and a half decades, something happened to this church. To go from the one that Paul loved and visited frequently to one that was simply going through the motions. They knew how to have church, and they did it. Oh, God, help me. I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm just telling you, church, I see too much of this. Amen. I see too much of it when I go off places. I see where people know how to dance. They know how to jump. They know how to shout. They know, but, but I don't feel, Brother maze what I want to feel there. There's something about just going through the motions. This is the way we're supposed to act. This is what we're supposed to do. But that's not at all what God is looking for. God is looking for people that do it because they love him. God is looking for people that do it because they love him. Hallelujah. Oh God, give us back that love that we had the night we prayed through. Give us back that first love that was there when we were new converts. Let us get back to that place. I'm telling you, when I prayed through, I didn't see any faults in anybody. When I prayed through, I wasn't concerned about what anybody else was doing. When I prayed through, I didn't care what anybody thought about my worship. I didn't care what anybody said about me behind my back. I'm telling you, when I prayed through, I was so in love with Jesus. He was the only thing on my mind when I got to church. And I say, take me back there, Jesus. Take Take me back there again. Let me love you like that again. Let me love you like that again. You were on target, Elder, and you started talking about how we just pick up junk. I think that's what happened with Ephesus. They just, through all of those 30 plus years, they just picked up a lot of junk. And before long, they spent more time maintaining the junk. It just took so much time to take care of all the junk. 
They just really didn't have time. Pray? Oh, yeah. Oh, I meant to pray this morning. I, I meant to. Oh. Oh. I heard my pastor tell about one day he'd gotten up and he, he was in a hurry. He had a lot of things he had to do. And he went about his day, busy day. And he, he, he just went about, man, he stayed busy all day. And he said, finally, he got home. He just was so weary. And he said his wife was cooking supper. And he said, I just went and got in my lazy boy recliner and thought, you know, I'll talk to the Lord for a few minutes. And he said, I just kind of kicked back. said, I lifted my hand said, I love you, Jesus. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I've been waiting all day to hear you say that. Oh, God, I don't want to lose that first love. I don't want to lose that first love. I don't want to lose that first love. I don't want to get to the place where I feel like I can preach or I can sing or I can do anything else without him. Come on now. Singers, listen, I appreciate amen, the way you sing and worship God, but don't ever get to the place that you think your talent is enough. Don't ever stand on this platform and think you can just learn the songs and learn your parts. I'm telling you, without the anointing, even the most beautiful singing is ugly in God's ears. He wants to know you're doing it because you love Him. You love Him. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Man, another place said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Amen. Ladies, when you're up here cleaning, don't look at it as something you dread having to do. Oh, it's my turn again. Oh, I wish somebody else was, would do that. No, no, no. You know, I remember, Lord, I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. I remember not long after I prayed through going to a youth camp, Texas, and they had an old open-air tabernacle. Didn't have any sides on it, concrete floor, bare concrete floor, and old wooden slat pews, and uh, kind of like what we had out in Miltonvale, those of you that went out there, but, but a lot bigger, a whole lot bigger. And I remember it would come around time that all the guys are out playing ball and all the girls are doing things and, and I'd, I'd slip over to that tabernacle and I'd get in there and there was one young man that was in there and I didn't know his story. I started asking around. And I was just a young boy myself, just a new convert. But this young man, he was probably 16, 17 years old. But Brother Nelson, every day when everybody else was out playing ball, he had a push broom. Nobody asked him to do it. But he was in their sanctuary and he was cleaning the floors of that house of God every day and he was just talking to Jesus and loving Jesus. It was such a privilege to him. I found out later he'd been saved from the drug world. His life had been a mess. He was so grateful that God had saved him out of all of that. He counted it such a privilege just to be able to walk into that place. Oh, listen, if you could ever learn, every time you move the vacuum cleaner, you need to say, Lord, I love you. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 
I've heard Bishop Johnson talk about amen, when they were back in another part of town, an old building that they had on the far side of Colorado Springs. Amen. Their revival began. There was a woman there, Sister Webb. She's still in the church today, but she used to go down to the church and she'd get that vacuum cleaner and she'd walk those aisles and she'd pray. And before long, she's talking in tongues and she's asking God, send revival to this church. God, help my pastor. God, speak to him, Lord. Let us hear what he's got to say. And she walked those aisles and pray as she cleaned that church every day. She'd get lost in the spirit every day. Ah, listen, I'm just saying whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it. Amen. Let him know I'm not doing this mechanically, God. I love you. I'm doing it because I love you. I don't want to end up like Ephesus. I don't want to end up like Ephesus. I got to hurry. My time's almost up. Amen. Verse 5. Read. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Now this verse, this verse, now the verse before, God said, here's the problem, Ephesus. You're doing a lot of really good things. And I commend you for everything you're doing. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm pleased with you for what you're doing. But I want you to know you're not doing it out of love. And so I've got somewhat against you because I don't want you to just do it. I want you to do it because you love me. And so he says in the very next verse, here's how we're going to fix this problem. And he tells them three things they have to do. And then he closes with a warning if they don't. The first thing he says is the first word of verse 5. Remember. Everyone say remember. remember. Oh God, I don't have time to go into all of this the way that I want to. And Like I said, I really don't want to have to break this into, into a, another part. But, but listen to me. We're going to have to remember where God brought us from. We've got to remember the pit from which we were digged. We've got to remember what it was like the first time we walked into an apostolic church. We've got to remember I've seen sometimes in saints of God, well-meaning, first thing that happens when somebody prays through, they start trying to line them out, fix them up, and straighten them out. And many of them, the things they're working on are the very things that they themselves struggled with for a long, long time, but they don't remember that. I want to tell you, this is what he said. We've got to get back to the first love, and here's how we're going to do it. First of all, remember. Remember where you were when I found you. Remember how desperate you were. I remember wanting the Holy Ghost so bad. I'm telling you, I wouldn't let a service go by that I didn't get to the altar and pray and seek God. My biggest problem is I didn't understand anything. I was 11 years old, finally turned 12, still seeking God. I didn't understand what it was all about. I didn't know anything. I hadn't been raised in the church. Nobody had taught me, but I knew I wanted what it was they had and what they were talking about. And so I just had my mind made up. I'm just going to keep praying till it comes. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know what to expect, but I'm going to keep praying until it comes. I remember how desperate I was. I don't ever want to lose that desperation, Brother Self. I'm telling you, when I come to this church to pray, I want it to be just as fresh. I want it to be just as real. God, I need you today. I don't want to go through this day without you. Oh, he said, remember, remember. Oh, I don't have time for all this. And then he said, the next thing he said was, repent. Everyone say repent. Oh, I, I wish I had time tonight. I wish I had time. I encourage you again, if you haven't done it, I know, I know uh, uh, several of you have said, you know, you want to wait till the right moment to listen to these messages that I've asked you to listen to. And I, I understand that and I appreciate it. But I'm just telling you, I feel an urgency. You gotta, you gotta, you're just gonna have to make the time to do it. It's so important. If you could just hear the promises that God made to this church many times through tongues and interpretation. But can I tell you that over and over and over, the Lord said, if this church will just repent, if they'll just repent. In fact, the night that the elder preached about the open door that God had given to us, that very night that he preached that message and he told us of what God wanted to do, even speaking of God giving us multitudes numbering into the thousands, he closed with a statement. He said, all God is asking of this church is that they fully Repent. Church, I don't ever want to get to the place. I don't ever want to get to the place that I think I'm so good and I'm so holy that I don't have to ask God to search me and try me, know me. I'm going to tell you, I, I make sure when I'm praying... The day doesn't pass that I don't ask God. And I mean it. I'm in earnest. God, if I overlooked something, if I, if I was too sharp with somebody, if I did, God, please show me. Please show me. I want to know. I want to make it right. Oh, God. I, I, I'm telling you, church, I want you to go. I want you to hear these promises. If this church would die, Lift him up and magnify him. He said people would be everywhere throughout the city saying, what's going on down there? What's going on? Miracles are happening. And then a message in tongues. And the Lord said, why dost thou stand in amazement for what my servant has said unto thee? For I, the Lord thy God, hath spoken to thee. Open thine eyes. It's never been what you can do, but what I can do. For I am your God. If thou wilt seek me, and if thou wilt let the promise come forth, I will fill this assembly and go beyond that. Everywhere around will come to see what the glory is because I will send it to you, saith the Lord. 
Lord told us if we would just love him, if we would just love him, worship him, and give all of ourselves to him. This is what he said, and I'm quoting tongues and interpretation. I'm quoting. He said, he said, if thou wilt love me, worship me, give me all of yourself, then I will show you my glory, saith the Lord. My hands will be open to you and to your cry, and I will receive you unto myself and give you multitudes of people. And I could go on. I could go on. Just listen. Please listen. Listen to those messages. Listen to those messages. I'm telling you, if we're ever going to see the fulfillment of all the promises, we all need to find some time to just ask God to search us, to cleanse us, to make us clean. The Lord said, first of all, remember. And then he said, repent. And then the third thing he said to them was, go back and do the first works. Go back and do the first works. You know, when you're courting somebody, you're trying to get them to fall in love with you, you don't treat them quite the same way as after you've been around them for a while. And you kind of get to where you take them for granted. And unfortunately, we do the Lord the same way. We really do. When we're trying to get his attention because we know we're lost, we'll cry out and we don't care about what anybody thinks. But after a while, we just kind of come to church and expect that he's going to meet us here. But you know what? I wonder what would happen if we'd start courting him again. Oh, God, help us to fall in love with you again. Help us. What did it take for us to find God in the first place? Wasn't it when we sought him with all of our heart? Isn't that how we found him to begin with? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but, but the Lord said, if you don't do this, I'm warning you. He said, I will take away your candlestick. Now, remember, the candlestick was representative of the church itself. And so what he's basically saying is, you're really not even going to be a real church anymore. If you don't do this, this is where you're headed. Now, church, again, this is not God writing Ephesus off. This is God calling to them because he loved them. He wanted to renew that. He still loved them as much as he ever did. He didn't quit loving them just because they quit loving him. That's not the way God works. Some people think that's the way God is. But there's something about his love. You can quit loving him. But that doesn't mean he stops loving you. He still loves you. And he still cares about you. And I'm telling you, he's just like the father to that prodigal. He's just watching and waiting for the moment when you realize I still need him. And when you come to him recognizing you need him, I'm telling you, he says, this is the moment I've been waiting for. This is what I've been waiting on all along. I never left. I'm right where you left me. I'm right here. Oh, church, listen, every promise that was made to us way back 24 years ago, God's been standing right there ever since. And he's saying, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. But the minute that you get there, it's all yours. You can have everything that I promised you, you can have. All right, I gotta, I gotta hurry. I gotta hurry. Amen. We're almost, we're almost done. We're almost done. 
we got just a couple more verses here. Let me get these real quickly. I know I'm after time, but give me just a few minutes. Uh, read for me verse 6, Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of Nicolaitan, which I also hate. I, I wish, really, this, this really deserves a Bible study of its own. And, and nobody's really 100% certain about who the Nicolaitans was. Now, I had, a, I had a guy come to me one time. He said, now, is that St. Nicholas? Is this about Christmas? No, 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 that's not. No, that's, that's, that was written just a few years before St. Nicholas came along, I promise you. Um, but most scholars do believe that it was uh, based upon a man whose name was Nicholas. But this Nicholas, you read about him in Acts chapter 6. He was one of those men who was appointed to help the apostles and to alleviate their burden. He was to take on the menial tasks. He was to feed the orphans and the widows so the apostles could devote themselves to prayer and the study of the word. He was one of those men along with Stephen. I mean, he was numbered with Stephen. And uh, many people say these were the deacons. The Bible doesn't use that term in Acts chapter 6. Um, but, but what history seems to tell us, many of the early, early church fathers wrote about Nicholas. And they wrote that Nicholas, something happened in his life. And that he made some drastic changes in his doctrine. And uh, uh, they, they said that uh, he or maybe some of his followers began to use grace as an occasion for the flesh. That because we live under grace, God doesn't care about how you dress and how you act. I'm telling you, you can trace this back to within a few hundred years of the apostles that these men are writing these things about Nicholas, that he was teaching that it's, it's just grace. We're in grace now. And so it doesn't matter how you live. doesn't matter how you act. doesn't matter how you dress. doesn't matter how you talk. Got none of that. It matters because this is grace. And he declared that Christians who were nothing but sinners saved by grace could live like the world on the outside and still remain saved on the inside. It appears that he was basically the father of the doctrine of eternal security. You know, once saved, always saved. God saved you so done. It's like one man told me one time, I was working with him and I was trying to witness to him and he said, look, I want to tell you something. He said, I don't care. He said, if I leave this job right now and I go get drunk, and I commit adultery with another man's wife, and then on my way home, I'm in a car wreck and I die, I'm going to heaven. Now, I'm gonna tell you, if what I understand is correct, that is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And it's a popular doctrine in Christianity today. Nicholas taught that the externals of holiness were not important. James said this. I've got to hurry. James 4 and 4. That's somewhere in the list. Read for me. James 4 and 4. Ye adulterers, ye adulterers and, and adulteresses, adulteresses, know ye not you that, know the that the friendship of the, of the world, world is enmity with is God? Enmity 
with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I'm telling you, somehow, some way, scripturally, what brings enmity between man and God is friendship with the world. And yet that's one of the biggest problems in the church today, including in apostolic ranks. It's the truth. I don't have time to go into it. I've got to hurry. But listen, the one thing I do want us to notice is that God said, I do appreciate this about you, Ephesus. You hate that doctrine just like I do. God hates that doctrine. Because he's a holy God. And we have to be holy as he is holy. Amen. Praise God. Verse 7. Verse 7. We're, 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 we're trying to close. Musicians, come and give these people hope. Give them hope. Amen. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7 says this. He that hath an ear. He that hath an ear. Let him hear what, let him the, hear Spirit what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now we'll pick up the rest of that in just a moment. But, but here I want to deal with this. Here is the plea that he makes to every church. Every one of these churches. He says he that hath an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And again, I stress, I brought this out last week, but, but it's not just to the church at Ephesus. But he said, what I'm saying to them, I'm saying to every church. I'm warning every church. You've got, you've got a danger before you of just serving me, amen, mechanically and not really being in love with me. Listen to what I've got to say to you. He makes this appeal. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Now, the Lord repeatedly said this throughout his ministry. Let me show you just twice in the book of Mark. This is not, uh, you know, the same thing being retold in different gospels. Mark records him saying it twice. Uh, Mark 4 and 23. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And Mark 7, 16. If any man have ears to hear, let him yeah, hear. Both of those are in the book of Mark, three chapters apart. But Jesus said the exact same words. I'm telling you that this was something the Lord said a lot in his ministry. He knew there was a danger that we could hear and not really hear and no doubt this was a warning that they would not have the same attitude that Israel had of old listen to what Zechariah says Zechariah 7 verse 11 but they refused they to refused hearken, to hearken pulled away the and they shoulder, pulled away the shoulder stopped their, stopped their ears that they should, that not, they hear. should not hear According to one Greek dictionary that I looked at, the Greek word as it is used in this verse, uh, in Revelation 2 and 7, amen, the word for hear as it's used uh, doesn't just mean to hear it, but it means to obey it. So it's one thing to hear what the Lord says, but it's another thing to really hear it to the point that you do it. We could go into the whole wise man, foolish man, the difference between the two. The Bible says both of them heard the word, but only one did what he heard. And that was the wise man. And the one who heard it but didn't do it was a foolish man. And he was building on sand. That house will not stand. And I believe that here the Lord is making the appeal to every one of these churches. Don't be like Israel was. Israel turned their shoulder away, the Bible says, and stopped their ears because they didn't want to hear what I had to say. Don't be like that. Listen to what I'm telling you and put it into practice. And then we pick back up with this last little part and I'm, 
I'm done here. Amen. Verse 7, read that for me again. He that hath an ear, let him hear. hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches. Yes. To him that overcometh. Now here he makes a promise. To him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the tree of life. Of the tree of life. Which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Of the paradise of God. I love this. I love this. This is so beautiful. When I got to looking at this. And I made a statement the other day. I, I know I've taught about these churches before. I've never taught in the depth that I'm going into. I've, I've done whole new research on a lot of this. And I, I saw something here I had not seen before. But, but he says, he says, look, he said, I'm going I'm to do something. He said, I'm, I, I, if you'll overcome, if you'll overcome. And this word overcome literally means to the one that gains the victory. In other words, they're going to fight their way through until they conquer if you're willing to fight your way through it until you conquer to the one who conquers he said here's what I'm going to do for you he said I'm going to let you eat of the tree of life which is in the midst and I love this of the paradise of God now why would he use that term the paradise I want to tell you why. Because Ephesus, which was a city wholly devoted to the worship of false gods, and especially to the goddess Artemis, they had, just outside of the city of Ephesus, they had a sacred grove that they called, and they used the Greek word, which was transliterated into English, but it was paradise. It was this place where they would go and they said this was the birthplace of Artemis. And this is where they would go for their, for their sacred rituals to honor their goddess. But Jesus said, let me tell you something, Ephesus. I know about that place just outside of town, but let me tell you something. I got a paradise that far exceeds, far exceeds what Artemis or any other false goddess or false god can even conceive. I'm going to take you to a place where there's a tree of life. And when you eat of that tree, you're going to live forever. I'm going to offer you something if you'll just overcome. Yes, you're going to have to fight to get there. Yes, there are going to be devils. There are going to be attacks. It's not going to be an easy path. But if you'll fight and you'll overcome, I've got a paradise. I've got a beautiful place that I prepared that you're going to go that is so much better than what anybody in this world has ever imagined. Oh, let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord. To him that overcometh. To him that overcometh. I'm going to take you to paradise. I'm going to take you to paradise. I'm taking my beloved. <laughs> he's talking to the fiance. You know what it sounds like to me? Sounds like he's got some honeymoon plans. After that great marriage supper, my bride is going to paradise with me. Hallelujah. We're going to go to that beautiful place. And we're going to enjoy 
a meal like you've never had before. Hallelujah. Oh, saints of God, I want to tell you something. God is still reaching out in love and is looking for somebody that will love him. He just wants somebody that will love him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be, amen, uh, somebody that lives in absolute perfection. You know what he's looking for? Just somebody that loves him, that really loves him. Because when you love him, you're going to seek to please him. Oh, let's talk to him together. Let's talk to him together. Oh, God, I want to go to that paradise. I want to go to that place, God. My heart's long for that place, God. Give me ears that I might hear what you say. And help me, God, to put it into practice. Let's gather around the front. Let's take a little time. I know the hour's late. But let's take a little time here tonight. And let's talk to him. Let's let him know we really do love him. I want him to know we're here because we love him tonight.